Hey, it's Ben. Thank you for listening to the Upgraded Executive Podcast. We are bringing you insights from experts around the world so you can improve your personal and professional performance. Welcome to episode 18, Master Your Mind and Self-Doubt. Our guest today is Ryan Munsey. Ryan is a very sought-after thought leader who specialises in high performance and the development of both individuals and organisations. He personally coaches Olympic and professional athletes, special force operators, Hollywood celebrities, and leading entrepreneurs and C-level executives. In this episode, we discuss Ryan's book, his topical podcast posts, and insights from working with world-class professionals. Nick and myself very much enjoyed talking and listening to Ryan's insights. Please like and subscribe on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud and visit www.upgradedexecutive.com forward slash subscribe. We will send you a special link so you can access the videos one week before we officially release them. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Lovely to meet you. Ben, thank you so much for having me. Uh, look forward to chatting with you and Nick and uh, seeing what kind of value we can provide for your listeners. Great stuff. If it's okay just to frame um, who you are and what you've been doing for our audience, firstly. Yeah, so it's always difficult to <laughs> give people the elevator uh, pitch about who I am and what I do. I have intentionally tried to not pigeonhole myself. And uh, I like to make the joke that it, life would be a lot easier if I was the elbow pain for golfers guy. Because um, it'd just be really easy to say, that's what I do. And if this is your problem, come to me. Um, but uh, I usually tell people that I'm a high performance coach and advisor. Uh, I work with individuals and organizations to uh, help them achieve peak performance. And um, if that sounds vague, it's because it is. That, that's a, uh, a pursuit that encompasses a lot. Uh, it could be physical preparation. It could be mental preparation, mindset, mental toughness. Um, working on limiting beliefs. Uh, it can even get into time management. Um, you know, so, so there's a lot of stuff that we dig into there. My degree is actually in food science and human nutrition. So uh, I do work with a lot of people on the nutrition side of things as well. Um, you know, I'm a former athlete. I'm a former gym owner. So you know, the, the health, fitness, movement side of it, um, you know, is, is always at the core of what I do. But um, even in those pursuits, I, I realized that what was going on between our ears was the secret to, uh, or, or held the key to whether or not we would be successful in our pursuits. So, you know, I've chosen to spend most of my time working with people in those areas because I think you guys know as well as I do, it doesn't matter what diet or workout program or business plan you have on paper. Uh, if you can't lead yourself, if you can't show up and do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, uh, you know, the plan that's on paper doesn't matter. Can you talk us through your book, um, Fuck Your Feelings, and what the inspiration behind it was? Yeah, I, I wore the t-shirt for you guys. So if you're watching video, you can see it's on the shirt. So sometimes we go on a podcast and, and uh, people are a little bit queasy about saying the, the title or, or sometimes I just hold it up. But uh, I wore the shirt for you guys today in case we couldn't say it. But you guys are my type of people, so, so we can say it. So uh, the book is called Fuck Your Feelings. and um, you know, like I said, my background was, was in the gym. It's in nutrition. Um, in, let's see, at the end of 2016, I ended up selling my gym. 
Um, the year before, I had started uh, working with a company called Natural Stacks. I was hosting the, the podcast, the Optimal Performance Podcast, and really getting into uh, the biohacking space. And um, uh, you know, that was the beginning of the, the movement for me away from the physical and the nutrition stuff and into uh, you know the mindset and, and some of the the tweaks for uh, elite performers. And uh, I had the opportunity to speak at the Biohacker Summit um, two times in a row. Once the first one was in Finland, the second one was in Sweden. And when I spoke in Sweden, it was uh, it was this May of 2017, and they gave me 45 minutes and said, "Talk about whatever you want to talk about." And at that point, that was the longest time I'd ever been on stage, and it was the first time that somebody said, "Whatever you want to talk about." Um, and I ended up coming up with this talk that really was something that was bothering me in the biohacking space. And I kind of titled the talk States versus Traits. And the plea that I was making for these people in the biohacking space was to uh, shift the mindset away from peak performance today, or what do I need to do uh, to you know, hack my state or hack this thing, um, and, and to get more into a mindset of state, uh, instead of get away from states and get into traits. And so I'll elaborate in case I'm losing anybody. Um, a state is a short-term transient way of being. The state that we are in right now is not the state that we will be in in 30 minutes or in three hours. So if we're always reliant or dependent upon being in the right state in order to accomplish high or peak performance, then you, know, you guys know as well as I do, I mean, good luck with that. Because it's a fleeting, short-term, transient way of being. And you know, there's a, there's a quote that I love. And it says, if you wait until you feel like doing it to do work, you know, nothing's ever going to get anything done. So you know, my, my talk there was really around looking at things that can both positively impact your state now and positively impact our traits in the long term. Um, because one of the things that was bothering me with the biohacking movement was this uh, philosophy or, or mindset of, you know, trading tomorrow's for now. And it was just now and now and now. And it was very short-sighted in my opinion. Um, so I was just kind of encouraging people to take a step back, look at the big picture. Um, you know, that ended up being things like meditation, yoga, um, float tanks, gratitude journaling. There's a whole list of things that I dove into in the talk. Um, and one of the things, the, one of the pieces of science that I shared at the beginning of that talk was a statistic from a uh, well-known neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio, who found that 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in that moment. And so when I first read that, that was just, that was mind boggling to me. And like I said, I've been working with people in the gym and nutrition, and, and I've been just banging my head against the wall to figure out, you know, you come to me and you say, I want to be healthier. Uh, I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. I want to lift this. I want to get a scholarship. Okay, here's the plan. And then I see the actions that are not aligned with those goals and those values. And I'm like, why are we doing this? What is going on? And so, you know, to me, that statistic, 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel. That gave me a lot of insight into why so many people struggle to, you know, realize the, the goals and, and dreams that they have for themselves. Uh, so anyway, long story short, coming out of that talk, there was another speaker there who uh, was in attendance for my talk. He had a book that was coming out uh, about a year later, and he came up and said, you know, look, that was the best talk here. 
You gave help and hope on every slide. Uh, I want to introduce you to my agent. Oh, I, you need to do more with this. You need to write a book. Um, we hung out the next day. We talked about it. I was really excited. It's a long flight home from Sweden to the US. On the flight home, I had outlined the book. Um, that was in May. By September of 2017, the first draft was done. And then in February of 2018, um, Fuck Your Feelings was published. And uh, it's been a wild ride since then. So what's happened since publishing it? Well, people from all over the world have read the book. Um, and I get opportunities to do stuff like this. Um, it, it's just, it's crazy. Um, I've had military bases reach out. I've had law enforcement organizations reach out. Um, you know, those are things that I never imagined would happen. Um, companies have reached out. I've, I've had people ask me to come and speak at their, um, their annual uh, company conventions. And uh, it's just, you know, I knew from a business standpoint that the book would be sort of a, a springboard or, or a platform. Uh, and that was always part of the intention. But who and how and just the specifics of it were something that uh, I, I could not have imagined, um, you know, the, the impact and the opportunities uh, that have been on this side of putting it out there. Um, and, and even just getting notes from people saying like, hey, this is the best book I've ever read. I keep going back to it. This has made, you know, such a difference in my life. Uh, you know, those are the things that, that mean the most to me. So how would that work in, in practical terms? So when you talk around the triad of uh, psychology, biology, and what was the third one? Physiology. Physiology. So how, yeah. how would that work in, a, in practical terms? Well, so in one of the first chapters of the book, we talk about, uh, you know, so, so I introduced the statistic about 95% of our uh, decisions are made based on how we feel in any given moment, right? And so then I'll define what feelings are. Feelings are mental experiences of physiological states. So what's going on from the neck down impacts and, and drives what's going on between our ears. You know, we've all seen that meme that says you're one workout away from a better mood, right? That's a perfect example of how changing your physiology can change uh, your mental experience or your feelings. Uh, we'll do... Uh, excitatory breath work or even um, relaxing, down-regulating breath work to show people as proof of concept. Um, you know, a lot of people who aren't versed in the things that we're versed in um, don't necessarily understand how easily they can manipulate their physiology. So I will show them that um, and then show them how easy it is to change your mindset or your mood. Um, and then we talk about, you know, why we have feelings, right? So, you know, feelings aren't inherently bad. They have survived evolution for a reason. Um, they're meant to direct our attention. Um, and that is a biological adaptation, a survival advantage. Um, we are not living in the same environment in 2019 that we lived in in 1919 or the year 19. Um, and, and we need to understand that. We need to understand how our biology interacts with nature, um, what it's designed to do. And so being able to give people an awareness of these things uh, can help remove the guilt and the shame that we sometimes feel around certain things. Um, I'll give you an example of that. So we'll talk about uh, feelings are, are rooted in uh, the limbic system. And the limbic system is extremely fast. 
it is much faster than the prefrontal cortex. Um, and that is the survival adaptation. So if you and I are walking down a path in the woods and I see a snake and you're next to me, I, I ask this at every single workshop, every single presentation I do, what is the fastest way for me to notify you of the snake and to get you to stop walking? Or, or switch places. Say, say you're trying to stop me. If I'm walking next to you and you see a snake first, what are you going to do? Shout stop or put my arm in front of you. Exactly. Scream. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so, so both of those, both of those are, are limbic responses. Both of those are survival responses in the limbic system. They're not using uh, verbal communication. They're not using the prefrontal cortex. Your second movement or your second step is going to be to tell me why you screamed like a girl or to tell me why you stopped and put your arm out, right? So the first move is limbic. It's, hey, and then it's, hey, stop, there's a snake, right? So the stop short is, is limbic. Um, that's an example of how feelings in the limbic system can be good. That's why that has survived. Um, you know, that's an extreme and an acute example. Um, but you guys and, and your listeners, if you're, if you're a... Um, high pressure executive, um, you're not in necessarily life or death situations like that. You're not being chased by a saber toothed tiger or, you know, trying to avoid stepping on a snake. But we have this low grade chronic, um, you know, uh, activation of sympathetic systems uh, that fight or flight. And so then that triggers uh, stress and reduces heart rate variability, which is recovery, which impacts performance. Um, so being able to bring an awareness to these things, how, how we are wired, our biology, how that impacts our physiology and our psychology is what allows us to, you know, step back and say, okay, you know, this is, this is a universal thing. You're human. This is how your operating system works. Now this is how we, you know, manipulate it, control it, uh, bend it to what we want to do. Um, and, and I mentioned earlier, um, ownership of information, right? So I always ask people, you know, um, if you have an iPhone, can you jailbreak your iPhone? And most people don't know how to. A lot of people know that it can be done, but we don't know how to, right? What if we had ownership... Sorry, 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 what do you mean by jailbreak? You know, I, I don't even know, like, the definition of it, but there are things that you can do to get it to function outside of the way we know it functions. Um you can do things that like out of the box, it doesn't do, but you have to have ownership of the information. You have to understand how this thing works in order to achieve that. Most of us, because we don't have that ownership of information would screw it up. If we try to do that. Do you, <clears throat> do you prioritize a component? Um, is there an order to how you work with people or what you would, would advise people to work on? So does it begin with, mindset for example or do you begin with a different area what do you work on first you know when i'm working one-on-one -on -one with uh individuals it depends on why they come to me some people come looking for uh, nutrition and from there it goes into uh psychology and you know limiting beliefs uh you know why you're not able to follow a, a particular diet or you know, whatever the things might be. Some people come to me to dial in their fitness uh, or their recovery. Um, you know, some people come to me for business and then it goes into some of the other things. Um, it, it really, I, I'm not, 
dogmatic and, and I don't say this is the template no matter, you know, I, I, th- I believe as a coach, our job is to meet people where they are and, and move them forward. So um, it really just depends on where that person is and, and what their needs are. So if we'll um, change the subject slightly, can you talk us through your um, your your day, starting with the beginning? I know you've got some crazy morning power drink that you like to consume. <laughs> <laughs> um, we made that video a few years ago, and, and I'll, I have to tell you that two, let's see, it's been two years ago now, um, November of 2017, uh, I did a 30-day or 35-day carnivore diet experiment. And when I started that experiment, I stopped doing the, the morning drink. And to be honest, uh, I, I have not reintroduced that. But the, the morning drink used to be warm water, a teaspoon of sea salt, a tablespoon of organic lemon juice, and a tablespoon of raw apple cider vinegar. Um, I still do the salt and the water. Um, the, uh, the apple cider vinegar, I will take a shot of that straight out of the bottle when I have meals that have uh, higher carbohydrate content. Um, yeah. So w- the original idea with that drink was that the lemon juice helps uh, bile production, uh, the, the apple cider vinegar and the, and that's important uh, if you eat a higher fat diet uh, because if we don't produce enough bile, then we can't break down and absorb uh, and digest those fats. Uh, the, the, uh, lemon juice and the apple cider vinegar also help to detoxify and cleanse the liver, um, which has good, you know, just very beneficial properties there and, and is good for uh, metabolic health. Um, so I, I used to do that, like you said, every morning. Um, now it's really just the salt and the warm water. Um, warm water because it opens up the um, digestive system. If we were to instantly wake up and drink cold water, uh, everything kind of clenches and tightens. Uh, and that's not really how we want to start our day. Uh, and then the, the sodium uh, acts to assist in blood pressure up regulation. So if you've ever been like sitting down or laying down and you stand up, and if you sometimes people say, oh, I stood up too quickly and they get lightheaded and they need to, to like sit down before they pass out. Uh, or if you feel like you're going to pass out, um, that's because your blood pressure hasn't upregulated enough to keep you upright. Um, that's one of the major roles of the adrenal system and cortisol when we first wake up is to scavenge sodium, um, from our stores in our body to upregulate this blood pressure. You need more blood pressure. You need a higher blood pressure to stand up after you've been laying down at night for, for eight hours. And so getting the sodium first thing in the morning like that, uh, actually has a, a protective, uh, element to, uh, for the adrenal system. So if you're somebody who's always sympathetic, always on the go, like a high pressure executive, anything that we can do to protect our adrenals, uh, and to lighten the burden, uh, on those, uh, stress hormones, cortisol, and and that sympathetic nervous system, uh, is going to go a long way in helping us uh, to achieve that balance and and recovery and performance that we're looking for. Nick, did you have a question? Yeah, I was was Ryan, I was wondering what your experience of the carnivore diet was, because we had um, Dr. John Jaquish on, who's the founder of Osteo Strong and the X3 Bar, and he's a big proponent now of the uh, carnivore diet, and he was telling us how he only eats two steaks every day. And I think <laughs> given, given your nutrition background and, you know, you know with the, 
with the advent of things like Game Changers, which was the vegan documentary, you know, I see loads of clients now that are like, I'm going plant-based, you know, I'm never eating another animal ever again. You know, I've I've been fairly moderate following the bulletproof diet, so intermittent fasting, high fat, so the small to medium amount of protein and lots of green veggies. Um, what's your what's your general take on the carnivore diet? Uh, well, first of all, let's call Game Changers a movie, not a documentary. Yeah, um, it, it's, it is not a non-biased um, uh, picture. It, it's you know, I think you guys, as, as well as most listeners, probably know it was created and funded by people who are vegans and, and want to promote uh, vegan and vegetarian lifestyles. Um, so to call that a documentary is, is not entirely accurate. Um, as far as carnivore diet goes, I'm actually a huge fan. Um, I did the experiment because I'm just a curious person by nature. Um, I, I want to experience things. And I first heard about it because of Sean Baker, probably, I don't know, four or five months before I did my experiment. And when I was first, like my, my, my very first reaction was probably the same as most people. Like, oh, you know, this is crazy. This guy's an idiot, whatever. Uh, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I, I just, I couldn't, couldn't leave it alone. I kept Peaking. I kept coming back. I'm following him. I'm following some other people. Some of the other people that, that were pretty vocal uh, at that time were, were some very um, convincing and, and very intelligent people. Um, and I said, you know, every, every objection that I could come up with, somebody had a compelling argument for that, uh, whether it was fiber or you know the the healthy plants uh, that we think we need. Um, Stephen Gundry's book, The Plant Paradox, had just come out. You know, so he was talking about how you know a lot of plants don't have a defense mechanism; they can't run, they can't fight back. You know, so they'll uh, they'll create these compounds, lectins, or, or whatever they might be that um, you know encourage things to not eat them again uh, as their defense mechanism. Um, and so I just said, you know what, like enough with the back and forth, I'm just going to try this. And my goal was to poke holes in this thing. Uh, I took the scientific approach and, and, you know, I just said like, I went into it, not wanting it to work. Uh, I wanted to be able to say this is bogus, but guys, I, I felt great. My strength went up, uh, inflammation went down. Um, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've talked to a lot of people since then who, have tried a, a number of different dietary protocols. And most people will say it's the only one that they've tried that they enjoy and that they can stay on. Uh, something really weird happens. You, uh, your, your relationship with food changes. Um, it, it's, there's a very different hunger that you experience when eating means I need to go eat a steak. Uh, it's not the same thing as saying, you know, oh, I'm going to have a couple of spoonfuls of almond butter. You know, you don't, you have to be very hungry to say like, I'm going to grill a steak and eat it. Um, or at least it's a different type of hunger than, you know, I'm going to have a handful of nuts because they're on the counter. Um, and that's not to say nuts are bad. It's just, it's very interesting how the carnivore diet changes our relationship with food and hunger. Um, I still follow carnivore two to three days a week. Um, for me personally, I cannot keep 
strength and weight on with the way that I train and the way that I perform physically without eating some sort of carbohydrates. Um, so the days that I don't lift, train, or, or do anything in the gym or in that way, uh, I still do carnivore. So, you know, maybe two to two to four days a week, depending on, you know, how things fall. Cool. What does that look like, Ryan? So <clears throat> are you literally just eating steak on those days? And if so, what's your eating window as well? Uh, I don't do steak because um, I have a hard time getting enough calories if I just do steak. I, it would have to be a really fatty cut of ribeye. Um, and to be honest with you, that's just not my favorite cut of meat. Um, I'll eat lamb. Lamb tends to have a little bit uh, higher fat content. Um, and, you know, here in the U.S., I can get grass-fed lamb a little bit easier and cheaper than I can get grass-fed beef, um, short of, you know, buying a, a whole cow, um, which would be an option. Uh, we just don't have one right now. Um, I'm also a hunter, so I'll eat, you know, wild game. The problem with wild game is it tends to be leaner. Um, so I do have to supplement that with, um, higher fat cuts. So, you know, I'll gravitate towards sausage or bacon, um, with the wild game so that I can get the, the fat that I need. Um, I eat a lot of organ meats. You know, that was one of the things that in my original experiment, I made sure to, uh, eat enough liver, um, because, uh, you guys may know this, may not, but, uh, liver especially from grass-fed animals uh, or wild animals, contains more vitamins and minerals than any plant. Uh, so, you know, as sort of an um, insurance or, or safety net, um, you know, I made sure to, to consume as much of that as I could stomach. Um, Ryan, there's just one problem. Liver's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't argue that. I, I know there's a lot of people that struggle. Um, but it's interesting, you know, when you go on the carnivore diet, your, your tastes do change. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have done the experiment and made that shift. And uh, one guy that I was working with recently sent me a text that was, uh, it was incredibly profane. I cannot repeat to you what he said, uh, but he, I had him order, uh, there's, a, there's a company here in the U.S. called U.S. Wellness Meats. And a lot of people in the paleo, keto, bulletproof spaces uh, order grass-fed meats from this company and they do a few different organ sausages they do a liverwurst they do a head cheese uh and they do a brineschweiger um and i actually love the head cheese uh the liverwurst i will eat to get the liver um and so i had him eating it and, and the first day uh, because like you said it, to me the liverwurst is better than liver cooking it and eating it um so i was like all right you know if you're not going to eat liver you got to get just get the liverwurst it's good and he didn't even like that but two weeks in, he's crushing it. He loves it. Uh, and so, you know, when I say taste buds change, you know, it's not just me. It's happening for other people as well. Um, and, and I think that's just a fascinating thing. Yeah, I had to ask the question, Ryan, because like you, I'm seeing the carnival diet pop up now time and time and time mm -hmm. again. And mm -hmm. I know we share many mutual friends, like, such as Todd Chipman and the guys over at Primal Hackers. Yeah. And, but I think that, you know, they are doing it and have seen great results. And I know they aren't the kind of guys that would just go and do it and say it was great if it wasn't. And then having interviewed Dr. John Jakewish, was it been two or three weeks ago? 
and then John brought it back up, and then you brought it up. It's, 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 a, it's something I'm seeing as a reoccurring theme now. You know, it, it's, it's really interesting to me. Um, I wrote a blog post about it when I did the experiment. I think the first sentence of my blog post was something like, if you are not comfortable challenging what you think you know about nutrition, stop reading now. Um, and it's one of those things where we are so deeply rooted in what we believe and what we think we know about healthy eating and nutrition um, that it, it's, you have to have an incredibly open mind to even consider that there are benefits to this style of eating. Um, that doesn't mean that it is the right way for everybody. Um, I, you know, to me, I look at it just like keto or paleo or bodybuilding diets. Um, I'm a big believer in asking to what end, uh, and to bringing to, uh, to, to considering goal and context. So I get asked what I would consider blanket statement questions all the time. Is this a good exercise? Is this food healthy or not healthy? What's the best diet? Um, we're conditioned as a society to look for blanket statement answers to these types of questions. Um, but I think the fault in that binary thinking is that things can either be good or bad or that they can only be good or bad. And I don't think that that's the case. I think everything exists on a spectrum. And I think we have to look through the lens of goal and context. The developmental question is, how does this serve me? How can this be useful for me or for us or for our organization? Um, and so, you know, a lot of times when people ask me, you know, should they do the carnivore diet? You know, my question is, you know, have you ever done anything like that? You know, what are you trying to accomplish in, in doing this experiment? Um, I end up saying to most people, like, yeah, if you're interested in it, try it for 30 days, do it strict, um, you know, and see how you feel. Uh, most people end up feeling tremendous uh, when they try it. So there's something to that. But at the end of the day, I'm not positive that it's the way to eat long term. I, I just I think humans have always been opportunistic feeders. Um, I think we are omnivores. I, I know we are omnivores. Um, maybe that means we need to eat less plants than we thought, or more meat than we thought, or, or I don't know. But again, it's 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 somewhere on that spectrum. It's not all the way over here or all the way over here. Thank you. And <clears throat> I know your your client base is ridiculous in terms of the level of people you're dealing with. So Navy SEALs, you said law enforcement, celebrities, top athletes, top business people. <clears throat> have you got any insights that have come about from working with those people in terms of decisions that shape our lives or any key learns from working with people at the top of their respective games? Yeah, you know, I think the, the thing that is most encouraging for the average person is that these people are just like us. They are normal freaking people. Um, and I think that the average person looks at an elite warrior or a professional athlete or uh, a famous musician and, and they think, you know, I could never be like that or, or you know, must be nice or, or they, we just the average person thinks that they have something different. And in a way they do. And what they have that's different is that somewhere they flipped the switch and they said, I'm going to do whatever it takes 
to accomplish this thing or to be a person who gets these results. Um, I, I can usually tell within a few weeks, maybe not even that long, maybe, maybe if like two or three conversations with somebody, I can tell whether or not they have what it takes. Um, because usually they're the people, they're not the people who on phone call two or phone call three haven't gotten it done yet. Right. Um, the people who phone call two, phone call three or four, they're like, oh, this is coming up or this or this or this. I'm like, all right, here we go. Conversely, when it's somebody who is an Olympian or a professional or a special forces person, they're like, okay, I did that. I did that. What's next? Done. Got it. Now what? Now what? And they just, there's no excuses. And, you know, I, I talked about this. I think it's in the book. Uh, I know I talk about it in a lot of my, my presentations, but you can have excuses or results, not both. And the people who uh, are successful by, you know, an external measure are usually just the people who refuse to quit, refuse to accept uh, excuses, and just find ways to get it done. Um, and I try to relate that back to, um, to something that the average person can, can kind of wrap their head around. Uh, you know, so if I'm at a workshop or, or if I'm presenting on stage, you know, I'll, I'll ask people, you know, look, if you're struggling with fitness, if you're struggling with diet or whatever, you know, ask yourself, why you're failing to follow through? Why are your actions not aligned with your goals and your values? Because I promise you, you know, I'll, the next thing I'll say is, you know, how many of you have kids? If your child's life was on the line, there's nothing that's going to stop you from doing what you need to do to help them. So, why then are you not able to take that same commitment to these other things? Um, maybe they're not that important. And if something's not that important to you, then, you know, look, not, you know, we, we can't, ha- we can't all have like 10 things that are important to us. I get it. Um, and I was talking to one of my clients about this last week. I mean, he's, he's a competitive bodybuilder. He's a father, he's a husband, and he's focused on business. He was telling me, you know, he's like, hey, I struggle with this a lot. My, my dad wants me to pick up golf and, and, you know, get back into playing golf with him. But he's like, you know, I just don't have time for that because I know if I do, I'm going to want new clubs. I'm going to get new shoes. I'm going to take lessons. Like, I want to be good. It's like, I would have to do all of that to get from shooting in the 90s to get down into like shooting in the 70s. Or I can just go play with him a few times a year shoot something in the nineties and be happy with it. And he's like, I get it. Like I can, I only have so many things that I can put effort into and and be really, really good at because he's really, really good at these things. He's one of the best bodybuilding coaches in the U S and he just won the state championship, uh, you know, in in Virginia. Um, You know, he's, and you know, like I said, he's a father and a husband and, and that's really it. Like, Um, so I think narrowing our focus, um, practicing essentialism, uh, identifying, you know, kind of the, the, uh, vital few from the trivial many, um, and just doing what we can to, to get really good at certain things. Um, you know, if you think about somebody that you would consider a high performer, you know, they're probably pretty narrowly focused on what they do. 
Um, you know, when I look at the people I work with, they have a lot of expertise and a lot of experience in their certain path. Outside of that, not so much. Um, and that's okay. Um, you know, they're not getting paid or um, celebrated for the things outside of whatever it is that they do. Um, just more of a, it's more of an observation, really. I, I sometimes find with people, Brian, and I think it ties in with what you were saying, that sometimes people have to have a massive call to action in order to be able to take action. And I think our job as coaches is to help them take action before they even reach that crisis point. And I think it's for that reason you see people who are maybe grossly overweight that have some kind of health scare that then suddenly lose like 100 pounds or 150 pounds in weight because the, that call to action has become so strong that they know they don't do it, they may not be on this planet for much longer. So I think anything that we can do to help people not get to that point and help them almost wake up and have that realization beforehand, the better. Yeah, it, it would be great if nobody had to get to that point um, for especially on the health side of things for health and, and, and wellness to become that important. Right. So go back to what we were saying earlier, like where I gave the example of, you know, if this was your kid's health, nothing would stop you. Right. At that point, that's super important. And it's so important that you're no longer going to, you know, accept excuses or, you know, put it on the back burner or however you want to phrase that. And so like, you know, to your point, once they've had that health scare, now it is, it is that important to them now. Um, it would be great if, if nobody had to get to that point. Um, and I think for people like us who are that passionate about health or this passionate about health and, and wellness, I, I think part of our frustrations uh, stem from the fact that a lot of people aren't ready to hear it or, or just aren't looking for it until they get to that point. Um, you know, we just, we just met with, uh, a lady, my wife and I met with her two weeks ago. Uh, she just had a, a recurrence of, of cancer and she just said, you know, this came back. So, you know, now I'm ready to make all these changes. Um, doesn't mean we're less ready to help. It's just, it would be great if people would, you know, make those changes before they got to that point. Thank you, Ryan. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, no, I, I mean, I, I never want to come across as like overly salesy. Um, you know, I do enjoy helping and working with people. Uh, we've talked about the book. Um, we've got the online courses, the workshops as, you know, different ways to, to try to do that and work with people. So, um, you know, I'll just say if, if somebody hears this and wants to reach out to me, you know, shoot me an email. Um, you can look me up on my website, ryanmuncie.com. Uh, reach out to me through there and uh, I'd you know, be happy to, to help. And finally, what are your top three tips for our audience? So for people looking to upgrade their professional and personal performance within the executive space? Oh man, that's always the killer question. Everybody <laughs> loves that one. <laughs> it is, you know, and, and there's, there's like, there's just, there's no way you. I mean, I don't want to say there's no way you can prepare for this, but I think it's one of those questions where 
you could ask me this every day of the year and I might give you 300 different answers. <laughs> um, that just goes to show you our decisions really are based on how we feel. Um, I think number one is, is develop that ability to flip the switch. You know, we've kind of talked about that today several times, you know, um, to just be able to flip the switch and say, you know, I, I'm going to make this happen. Um, whatever it is or whatever this is, just cultivating that mindset. Um, I, I was in a gym a couple of days ago and I overheard some people talking about seeing a Wim Hof video and you could just hear it in their voice when they were talking about, you know, this guy's amazing. He's, he's so crazy. He stayed in an ice bath for 10 minutes and, you know, you could, you could hear it in this person's voice that they didn't believe they could do that. And, you know, that's, that's, that crushes me when I hear somebody say that, uh, or say it in that way. I could hear it in their voice that they knew they couldn't do it. Wim will tell you, you guys know, I mean, anybody who wants to be able to do that can do it. And I think that's, that's the mindset side of things. Um, so learning how to develop that ability, cultivate the ability to be able to flip that switch. Um, from a performance side of things, I always feel like this is a cop-out when I say sleep, but it, it's, it is the single biggest uh, driver of everything. Um, if I don't get a good night's sleep, I'm not myself the next day. I'm, I'm hungrier. Uh, it's harder to stick to our diets. It's harder to you know, be creative. It's, it's harder to show up the way we want to show up. Uh, it just not getting enough sleep makes everything harder and getting enough quality and quantity of sleep uh, makes everything better. Um, so as, as cliche or, or as, you know, uh, lame as that tip might be, <laughs> sleep is, uh, you just, we can't overlook that. Um, number three, uh, I, I would say get out of your head and into your heart. Um, I, I think in this world, uh, especially today, it's very easy to get caught up in, in what we think we should be doing or, or maybe what other people think we should be doing or, or, you know, chasing likes or chasing adoration, admiration, approval from outside sources. Um, you know, maybe just shifting our definition of success, uh, instead of chasing success, chase fulfillment, right? Success um, I usually define success by intrinsic factors, um, but I, I realize most people define it by extrinsic or external factors. So, so I just, I've stopped trying to fight that fight and I just start trying to get people to shift their focus from success to fulfillment. What will make you feel fulfilled? Um, start thinking more about that and, and start pursuing that a little bit more. Brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ryan. My pleasure. Gentlemen, thank you. No, thank you, Ryan. That was fantastic. Cheers. I'd like to thank Ryan for his time and insights. Do check out Ryan on his social channels. Friendly reminder, visit www.upgradedexecutive.com forward slash subscribe. And we will send you a special link so you can access the videos one week before we officially release them. You can follow us on all our social channels at connectwithue 
and our website www.upgradedexecutive.com.